1: and welcome to What Goes Up, a weekly markets podcast. My name is Mike Regan. I'm a senior editor at Bloomberg.
2: And I'm Valdana Hayek, a cross-asset reporter with Bloomberg.
1: And this week on the show, well, cryptocurrency aficionados have been pining for a Bitcoin ETF for a long time now. But as application after application was filed with U.S. regulators... Well, the regulators have refused to give the green light amid worries about fraud and market manipulation and really all the other things that come up when you talk about the thorny subject of cryptocurrencies. But then BlackRock dropped their application, and many think that's the game changer, since after all, this is the biggest ETF issuer in the world. So are we finally going to see a Bitcoin ETF? We'll get into it with two expert guests. But first, Vildana, I would remark, this is also... Our latest crossover episode. It is. This is like...
2: The last one was a great success. Was it? I think so. Oh, yeah. You don't think so? Oh, I'm going to uh, tell Joan Tracy <laughs> that you said that.
1: I, I, I thought it was a great success. It was great success. This will be an even greater successor.
2: Well, the, the two guests we have on this week, they're from Bloomberg Intelligence. We know both of them really well. And I told them, I'm, you and I are going to basically drill them. Yeah. This is going to be a tough episode for them. Oh, yeah? You still yeah. told them? That? No fun, no jokes, like... Very serious. No
1: jokes. All right. Well, we do got to get a cheesesteak recommendation because we have a Philly guy. We you do know, have a Philly guy. You know yeah. my and, we, and
2: another New Jersey guy.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's a lot of Jersey in the oh house. Oh,
2: my gosh. It's so great. Well, we should probably introduce We'll get them. a
1: pork roll recommendation too then.
2: Pork roll. Well, don't offend some people. Taylor Ham. <laughs> some people say Taylor Ham. Yeah. No, yeah they I think it's pork roll.
1: Yeah, it's yeah. pork roll.
2: This is good. We're already stirring conspiracy or uh, controversy. Yeah, yeah. But I want to I want to introduce our guests. It's Eric Belchunas from Bloomberg Intelligence and James Seifert, also from Bloomberg Intelligence. They are great, great ETF experts. I've known them for years. And thank you guys for joining us.
3: Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm happy to be here. Great to be here. Big fan. I, I love the Tracy and Joe Oddlots crossover. And I also like was driving to Philly one night when I was listening to your episode with Katie and she said she's never had cheesesteak. N- never once And I had almost had, had to pull over. <laughs> I was like, I well, know, I, I, don't, I don't understand how somebody could go to school. Know. Know. Katie Greifeld? Yeah. yeah, Katie yeah. Greifeld's never I can had see, it. see
1: that. <laughs> never. But well, all right. So first things first, <laughs> Eric, what's your, what's your cheesesteak recommendation in Philly?
4: So I'm not a Philly native, right? So I don't really care that much about cheesesteaks, but I'll take somebody to Gino's or Pat's. They're equally good to me. I just don't. I'm not a connoisseur. I don't know which ones are. They're all pretty good. Yeah. Uh, John's is the one a lot of people will. I'm sorry. Is it Jim's or John's on South Street? Oh my uh, God. Jim's, who are you? Yeah. Jim's. Do you live there? John's is the I, roast uh, roast pork uh, emporium. This is like a New Yorker not knowing like Broadway
1: show to go to. Okay,
4: <laughs> but the G, uh, Jim's has a line usually going around yeah, the block. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm yeah. not waiting in the line for a cheesesteak. And uh, you know exactly. what? Exactly. The thing is,
1: you I, are a true Philly
4: guy. Then I, I have this other thing, which is like. I have a limited amount of calories. As I get older, my metabolism is (laughs) lower. And I don't know if I want to spend that big of a calorie intake on a cheesesteak. Sometimes I'd rather have, like, Mexican food or I go to Chick-fil-A a a lot with my kids. Like, I just, I don't know. Cheesesteaks never really come up that much for me. This is not
2: the answer I was expecting. That's fair.
1: Uh, Now You've expected more enthusiasm?
2: Yeah. How long have you been living in Philly?
1: Uh... 18 years?
2: Yeah, come on. <laughs>
1: I mean, I eat
4: them. Like I went to the Eagles game, the practice they had at the link last Sunday. Oh, nice. And I went to uh get food and I got a cheesesteak. Yeah. And it was delicious. I think it was
1: from Chickie and Pete's. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was good. But I wasn't
4: like, "Oh, this is only like an 8 out of 10." And the one at Jim's, I don't do that. They're all pretty good.
1: All right. We got to transition to the uh subject How? How? to the subject that will get Eric excited here. <laughs> Bitcoin ETFs. <laughs> Bitcoin ETFs. So I guess my first question is BlackRock files their application. Everyone assumes they know something. Is that is that fair? Maybe they know something. But, you know, BlackRock
4: is the biggest asset manager in the world. Larry Fink is very well connected. A lot of people who worked in the government now work there and vice versa. Uh, They helped the Fed buy ETFs in 2020 when the, uh, the market needed liquidity. So BlackRock has more of a reputation than just being like an ETF issuer, right? So when they filed, it was a whole different ballgame in my opinion because it's even if they don't know anything or don't have any like, I don't know, wink, nod from the SEC that this is going to happen, the fact is they are generally like to bring a gun to a knife fight. This is a firm who doesn't like to lose, who knows what they're doing, and they must see something. Yeah, They have to have had, I'm sure they had multiple meetings. They went over all the stuff that we know which is Gensler said, no, this, that, and the other fraud manipulation. And they said to themselves, nope, this makes sense. That is what is the difference maker.
1: Could part of it be that all this enforcement action we've seen this year has not been targeted at Bitcoin? You know, it seems like the SEC is kind of letting Bitcoin do its thing. Do you think that plays into the the rationale?
3: So that's part of our argument for why we've publicly stated we thought there was a 65% chance that these spot Bitcoin ETFs are going to get approved. The SEC is going after everything else. They're going after all the altcoins, these weird institutional sales, the ICOs, these different things. They're not really doing anything with Bitcoin. If you look at Gary Gensler, any of his speeches that he's given, testimonies in front of Congress, he says, the only thing I will say that's not a security publicly or the one I'll name is Bitcoin, right? So he he puts it on a pedestal by on its own. And there's some recent inclinations that we're getting that they might be kind of like Bitcoin, obviously tier one on its own, not a security. It seems like there might be pushing Ethereum a little bit closer to that than we initially thought. But everything else, for the most part, based on the lawsuits against Coinbase itself, Binance, all these other things, they are not done going after those things. But there might be kind of a bit of a changing of the guard as far as Bitcoin goes and maybe a little bit of Ethereum, too.
2: Okay, James, can we just take a step back and maybe you can lay out the field? Like, what does the actual race and the competition look like? We have a ton of issuers applying for spot Bitcoin ETFs. Who Who is part of this race and, like, how did we see all of this play out over the last two months or so?
3: If we start, we have to go back to ARK, Kathy Wood's ARK and 21 shares, which is an ETF issuer in Europe that has launched a bunch of crypto ETFs. They refiled for their spot Bitcoin ETF application back in April Yeah, April of this year. I
2: think it was April 25th.
3: Yeah, that's pretty good. Thank You've you. been covering this pretty well. <laughs> yeah. So they were the only one that was active when BlackRock dropped their filing on June 15th. And it, they were almost certainly active because another player that is, tech, while well, technically they don't have a 19 before a filed, which is what you file for a rule change, in this case the rule change to launch a Bitcoin ETF, is Grayscale. Grayscale launched and owns GBTC, which is the Grayscale Bitcoin Trust. Billions of dollars in there. It's not an ETF. It doesn't trade like an ETF. There are a lot of inefficiencies there. They are suing the SEC trying to convert GBTC to an ETF. That decision is due sometime in the next couple weeks, potentially months, but it should be in the next few weeks that we should get a decision that like Grayscale ruling. So Grayscale is the other key player here. Then you have BlackRock entering then we have Bitwise, Vanek, Wisdom Tree, Invesco, who's partnered with Galaxy. Galaxy is Mike Novogratz's crypto company. Then you have Fidelity, Valkyrie, and Global X, all that have applied for spot Bitcoin ETF. So there's those are all like huge names in the ETF space, asset management space. They, this is not like nobody's
1: trying to launch these things. So, so what is that? Eight or nine total?
3: It's, it's ten total. Because 10 Global total. X just filed last week, actually.
1: So, is there enough demand to? rationalize 10 Bitcoin ETFs. Are some of these, do you think they'll pull their plans if BlackRock gets approved? Like, How do you see it shaken up?
4: Well, let's, let's assume they all get out around the same day. They'll all try. Yeah. This is where I just wrote a note saying that if they approve or let out multiple ones on the same day, we're going to see ETF marketing like you've never seen before <laughs> yeah. because they all do the same thing. So marketing is going to be a massive variable here. BlackRock has a big advantage because of their name and their distribution. But, you know, like ARK and 21Shares are known a little more within the crypto community. That could help. So same with uh, Novogratz and Galaxy with Invesco. So and X, they all have their customers and clients. So I think, though, it's a winner-take-most market. One of them is going to be the GLD. Let's just say BlackRock's out in the same day and it becomes like the and GLD. GLD
1: is the gold, the, the yeah. prominent gold ETF for, for those who don't know.
4: Yeah, and GLD, even though there's been cheaper ones and uh, much cheaper ones, actually, GLD still commands a lot of assets and a lot of volume. And there's a lot of e- traders and institutions who will look over a, a more expensive ETF because of the liquidity. So if you're the most liquid one, it's perfect because you have pricing power. You don't have to worry about getting uh, sort of undercut on fees it's the next one is probably going to be the cheap one, and they're going to maybe get their uh, assets from advisors. Then there'll be ones that might, I don't know, write options on top of it. There might be one that comes out and adds Ether into it. There'll be a whole set of creative products that try to do something different. But for the nine or 10 that come out that are just Bitcoin, I would say to get James's take too, I would say one will be the superstar, and there'll be like two or three other ones that are able to carve out enough of a niche to make it on to, like, you know, the next couple of years.
3: Yeah, some of the niches I'm thinking about is, like, one of some of them are going to say, we will absolutely not lend out your Bitcoin, but other ones will be like, we'll lend out your Bitcoin and give you dividends <laughs> and returns, yeah. which will scare plenty of people away, but other people will, like, oh, if they're doing it smartly, I would love to get that additional return. You can, like, there's, there's ETFs out there where you can deliver gold to your doorstep if you have enough ETF shares. It's a lot easier to deliver Bitcoin to somebody's Bitcoin wallet than it is gold. So I think they'll figure that out too. So there'll be different ways that people try to differentiate. But I'm with Eric. It's going to be one at the top and then a handful of others. Like you said, winner or take most is it's the way it's going to play
1: out. Vildana, I would make sure I, I was at home if they delivered gold to my poor stuff. I really <laughs> hope so. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you don't want to leave, have the leave UPS guy leave no. it
2: <laughs> The UPS guy doesn't want your gold anyway. He, <laughs> he makes a lot of money now. <laughs> of I one. mean,
4: honestly, I've had like really low-budget, random stuff stolen off my doorstep from people in the Amazon (laughs) delivery, gold would be the best. These guys would be like, oh my God, you hit the jackpot. I thought I was going to get a toothbrush or something. I got gold.
2: (laughs) Okay, James, can we talk about what actually might happen with the approval process? Because there's a lot of, I guess, questions around this. Like, is it the case that we would see all of them go at the same time? Is that something the SEC would want? Or is there a an advantage to having filed earlier than the rest?
3: Historically, the way it works is if you file first, you go out first, right? That's the way it, it has worked historically. If you look at BIDO, which is the Bitcoin futures ETF that launched, that is a slightly different process than the 19 before that we're doing, talking about the spot Bitcoin ETFs. But it launched first a couple of days early because they filed first and it commands the market. It's 98, 99% of the volume, 95, 96% of the assets, like, and the SEC got a lot of flack for basically being a kingmaker. So we've got, from conversations we're hearing with other people that are having with the SEC, they don't—they probably don't want to be a kingmaker. There's been a lot of firms that spend a ton of money on legal and all these different things filing for these ETFs. I mean, the Winklevoss filed for this thing for the first time uh, te- 10 years ago at this point. So there's been a lot of people putting a lot of time, money, and effort. Maybe they shouldn't take that into account. But I mean, really, this—the the cleanest way to do this would be to allow... All of them to go at the same time. Theoretically, we do really do think if they approve, it's going to be multiple at least, if not all at the same time. So there's good thesis that that's what they'll do. Theoretically, though, the way it should work is there's all these approvals and delay or deny deadlines. And usually they just wait till 240 days and then they approve or deny, right? The average time is like 220-something days. So for the most part, they take the full time and then they approve. But as Eric has said, and he can get into a little bit more, this is like a completely different situation. We have the Grayscale lawsuit against the SEC, which we're expecting a decision on. So we're waiting for that decision. If Obviously, if Grayscale loses, it, it changes our odds. All of a sudden, we're probably not at 65%, but we think Grayscale is likely to win this, right? So the timeline is weird. Is, is there going to be some day after that decision comes down where they just – the SEC says, all right – They have 45 days to do what's called an en banc hearing, which basically just means they'll, rather than a panel of three judges in the grayscale, they'll include all 16 or 17 judges on the D.C. uh, Circuit Court of Appeals. And they all come back and be like, did these judges do this right, essentially? So it'd be a little bit more time. But assuming the SEC doesn't do that, there's going to be some language in the opinion that says what the SEC needs to do. And there'll be some time where the SEC either needs to deny grayscale again
4: for different reasons or approve it. And this brings up this sort of thesis, and it's not been confirmed at all, but this is, I've, many people have come up with this possible thesis, which is why BlackRock filed. Somehow BlackRock thought, okay, we're going to file, and what they did that was novel is they included a surveillance sharing agreement with Coinbase. Not even ARC had that. So this was a novel situation, and NASDAQ too wasn't involved. So there was some novelty to their filing. The, the thesis is that, well, BlackRock filed because then if the SEC loses to Grayscale, The SEC can save face by saying, well, we were waiting for an SSA with with Coinbase. BlackRock provided that. Therefore, we're going to let them out. That's why we didn't let you out. And they'll let BlackRock out first and just sort of maybe uh, delay in court with Grayscale to not let them convert just to sort of screw them over for suing them. (laughs) So you save face and sort of get back at this company that sued you. This is one of the theses on why BlackRock filed. Then Gensler gets to say, Not only did I do that, but I, as I look at regulating crypto, I'm getting no help from Congress. So at least I got Coinbase to clean up in order to me to say yes to this. And I left it with the adults, BlackRock. He can almost turn that into a win regulatory wise. So you could see this is, again, all thesis, but you could see how that kind of makes political and practical sense and explains why BlackRock would have filed.
1: A thesis or a little bit of conspiracy, conspiracy theory. that uh, Oh, yeah, no, I tell James all the time. Conspiracy thesis, we'll call it. <laughs> you ever see
4: the movie JFK? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I feel like Jim Garrison, <laughs> <laughs> it's easy to say they're not going to prove it. That's Lee Harvey Oswald act alone. But then you start to see all this stuff, and, and you're like, what's real? What's a red herring? The circumstantial evidence that he didn't is so compelling and interesting, yeah, and that's right. sort of what this is like.
2: But talk about the surveillance sharing agreement and how important it was, because then all of the issuers that had also filed for a spot Bitcoin ETF had to go in and add surveillance sharing agreements, right?
3: Yeah. So all the denials, I said, the Winklevoss supplied 10 years ago, right? And every denial has basically said they want to, and I'm going to say in putting quotes, a surveillance sharing agreement with a market of significant size. So the question is, what is a regulated market, which isn't It sounds like, yeah, I know what it is, but there's no, the SEC has refused to exactly define what that is because they like to have a little wiggle room and they also haven't defined what a market of significant size is, right? So they will do things to back into whatever decision is made from above. So if Gary Gensler and the politicians that he worked with and reports to decide they want to approve this, they'll figure out a way to do it and meet those requirements. So if we look at the Bitcoin futures ETFs that went through this 19 b 4 process, the SEC approved it by saying it met those metrics because the CME Bitcoin futures market was the only market for the CME Bitcoin futures ETFs. So therefore it's a regulated market of significant size, which is just like weird to back into, right? So the argument here for Coinbase is, are they a market of significant size? If you just look at Bitcoin trading volume, they probably aren't because Binance makes up 60% of the global trading volume. But if you look at just US trading Coinbase is the dominant player. And if you look at US dollar trading specifically, they are by far and away the dominant player because all of Binance's stuff is with stable coins and all these other things. So the SSA, the question is, is the SSA a market of significant size? I think I could easily make the argument that it is specifically for US dollars, but it's not a regulated market under what you would normally consider to be a regulated market. But again, Bitcoin isn't a security, so it's not going to trade on a regular regulated
4: SEC exchange. Yeah, and a lot of this wasn't really put on gold when it launched. Gold is, is the same thing. It's a, it's like a commodity. This is a unusually high bar, in my opinion, versus when gold came out. And that's what a lot of people are arguing. And this leads me to this whole idea of just like, he's just not that into you. You know that, that movie? <laughs> Gensler just doesn't like crypto, and that's just the way it is. And so we also, in our calculus, factor in the political angle and- Will this become politically untenable for Gensler? Because there are some Democratic congressmen who are actually moving over and sort of becoming more pro-crypto. Yeah,
1: yeah. And
4: if if he sort of feels it from them, and now he's gonna if he loses grayscale, it's more egg on the face because they just lost another lawsuit on these spikes futures things. It's possible he's in he's in a position where it's it's the politically right move, and then they're gonna make up whatever legal language to fit that they they want anyway. So our thesis is that the the language they use is. You can change it. Yeah, they'll just make it work if they want to do it.
1: But didn't he? He made some comment on Bloomberg TV to the point of, "Hey, I'm only one vote on the commission that that." uh, Yeah, little
4: old me. I'm just. Yeah, we thought that was interesting. He never spoke like that before. He said, "I'm just one of five commissioners." When Kaylee asked him about the Bitcoin ETF, and that's interesting because when the last one was denied, three said denial, but two dissented and said you should have approved it. So it's three two. So if one defects, mm-hmm. he, he has he's in trouble. Now we again we hear from our legal analysts and regulatory analysts that that just wouldn't happen because that would be like defecting from your own party. Yeah. But again, as I said before, there's Democratic congressmen who are right, moving right. over. Yeah,
1: that the political lines. Yeah, aren't it's not clear. In, no, in ink, you know. Yeah. A, but let me. I got to play the role here of the cranky old traditional finance guy with w- boomer. Which let's be honest, it's not <laughs> a stretch for me, right? Uh, But, you know, Valdon and I, we talked to a lot of, you know, traditional asset fund managers, uh, RIAs, you know, the old school, the old guard. I don't see a lot of them pounding their fists on the table saying, I'm dying to get my customers, my clients into Bitcoin, but only if there were an ETF. You know, to me, it's like, okay, I get the whole notion that, okay, people with clients like that are going to be more comfortable on a regulated exchange with a regulated product. But when you boil it down to, I don't want you putting your money into Coinbase, put it into this ETF where the Bitcoin is custodied by Coinbase. I don't know, like how big is the demand there? How big, like how much in assets are we talking about that we expect to go into these ETFs? Should they be approved?
4: All right, let me take first swing at that. James can clean up anything I miss. The financial advisors in America have about 30 trillion in assets. It's a big amount. So, even if like 0.4% of all of those portfolios or a portion of them go into this, that's $100, $150 billion. Yeah. That's how much gold ETFs have. So, that's kind of where we're at 0.5%. Some will never use it, but there could be some that use two, three, 4%. The other thing you have to know is advisors are scared about this transfer of wealth from the boomers who are 80, 90 years old almost, and they're going to transfer it down to their millennials, Gen Xers like me, and even the generation yeah, below. Yeah. And the boomers are going to want to, I mean, the advisors are going to want to look uh, hip and cool to what the younger people want. And I believe some of those young people are going to want exposure to this in terms of just uh, as a FOMO trade or a store of value. So we do think there's probably going to be some market for it. Uh, when you look at other countries like in Canada, that percentages are about the same. So I think a Bitcoin ETF, again, won't, it won't be that big of a deal. But if we're talking $150 billion, that's a pretty big chunk of what total Bitcoin market cap is. So, it it will be a bridge, though, yeah. to all of the boomer money, and they have all the money.
1: Yeah. So, so you think even an advisor who's maybe skeptical personally about crypto will have to react to the the client demands and there, say, "Look, if you're gonna do it, we I'd prefer you to be in an ETF than a, a, a separate crypto." Well, there's account.
3: there's two things here, right? So there's there's I've talked to plenty of advisors who have clients that they don't offer, they're the advisors, they don't really offer crypto specifically. So for years, there's been platforms where like, we'll tie into your platform, you can pay an enterprise license, and we'll get you access to Coinbase custody. But really, like, for the most part, advisors don't want to deal with that. I'm sure you've met plenty of advisors, they are more like salespeople, many of them. So what they would prefer is for those assets to be under their umbrella, right? They charge 1% on their assets or whatever, what have you. So if a client comes to them and says, I want crypto in my portfolio, or I want Bitcoin, figure out how much I should have, maybe it's one, two, three, there's plenty of studies that show out there that it'll increase your Sharpe ratio, helps with returns, decreases volatility, ironically. So there's different reasons why you would hold it, but telling them to hold it on Coinbase on their own account, that's not under my 1% fee, right? Yeah. If I'm an advisor, I can. the ETF is click and buy, I can hold it, I don't have to worry about custody, I don't have to set
1: all up right. other pipes, and I get it under my umbrella. I get the greed motivation more than the other, <laughs> the other explanations. You're
2: turning so. Mike into a believer. Yeah. <laughs>
1: One other thing, if you're trading on
4: Coinbase, you get charged not nothing. I mean, I know we debate this all the time, but you can get charged as much as... Uh, 150 basis points More. for a trade. 3%. E- 3%. A Bitcoin ETF will be one basis point.
1: Right? Really that, that low, you thinking
4: Well, all, the, all ETFs. Like If you take trading, the
1: trading He's talking trading, not trading. expense ratio. Oh, okay. your, for no, no, bid-ass spread divided right, right, by the. Right, right, right. Well, 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 what kind of expense ratio would you think?
4: So he, I think they're probably going to, this is my, I think 70, 75 will be the opening bid by the BlackRock's and ARCs. But then someone's going to Vanguard the category with like a 30 basis point. But we, not Vanguard. Not Vanguard. <laughs> no. <laughs> I, well, I wrote a note saying that the end game here is a 15 basis point Vanguard multi-crypto basket ETF in 10 years. Wow. Vanguard laughed at me, said that'll never happen. <laughs> but you have to understand, even Vanguard is starting an advisory, or they started one. They have an advisory platform. They manage people's wealth. That got them into private equity. That's a very unboglian area too. If you're managing somebody's assets, you kind of have to have access to everything. So I think Vanguard could be pushed to do it themselves if they don't like anything on the market. It's a long shot. But I think BlackRock and some of the other firms are also going to just like Vanguard the category even without Vanguard. Yeah, they've got the scale to – Totally. And you're, the ETF has a long tradition of when they bust down a new uh, asset class, you know, the products come in at, at a fee like you know, maybe 50, 60. But within five years, you know, you know, usually there's a super liquid one that's affordable – so think about it. If you're an advisor, ETF has all the plumbing that works for you, and it's going to charge you, say, 50 bips, and it charges one basis point to trade. The one basis point to trade is also going to attract institutions. Some institutions really like GLD because they just don't want to deal with gold. Nobody wants to deal with Coinbase. So I think if a, the liquid ETF here will also attract pensions, endowments, foundations, traders, maybe not, again, to this mass, it's not going to be like a mass like surge, But on the edges, some of these bigger fish are going to uh, appreciate anonymously trading whenever they want, go long, short this one basis point traded uh, exposure to Bitcoin.
1: I wonder, you know, so Bitcoin's been stuck in a price range a little above 30,000, a little below it for a few months now. It did get a pop when BlackRock filed. Are these approvals in the price, do you think?
3: I think the pot, so it I would you would be dumb to argue that the potential approval is not in the price you can go back to the BlackRock filing and all those things it was part of the reason why the price ran up I don't – so I, I think no matter how you look at it, right, if all if we get to January, so that – we we were talking about deadlines, right? So I said some deadline after the Grayscale decision, we could see some approvals happening. But ultimately, we're going to see full denials at least by January 10th if that's what's happening. We don't see some of these other ones. The SEC denying ARCs and then approving BlackRock in March, it's possible, but I, don't, I think it's somewhat unlikely. So if we get to March and they're not approved. I. That's de- definitively bad for demand and price. But approval, I would – it's hard to say, right? So we talk about Grayscale. They have 633,000 Bitcoin, something like that. They have three over 3% of the supply. So all of a sudden, if GBC can convert to an ETF, it's trading at a massive discount, 25%-ish yeah, right now. Yeah. All of a sudden, that Bitcoin is open to go on the market. Right now, it's been locked up. No one can touch that Bitcoin. So there, it's not as clean as all of a sudden ETF launches and billions and billions are going to run in and the price is going to go up. There's a lot of other things that are going to happen. If you look at Bitcoin futures ETFs when they launch and just futures themselves... Futures in the CME for Bitcoin launched uh, at the end of 2017, early 2018. And that was the beginning of the end for that, that first Bitcoin bull market. Bitcoin futures ETFs launched in late October of 2021 again, right at the peak of the Bitcoin bull market in 2021. So it's not. it also right. opens new avenues for shorting and all these other things. It's right. not just as clean as all of a sudden the herd is coming and hundreds of billions of dollars are going to buy
1: Bitcoin. The mar- yeah. markets were designed to surprise you. And yeah, exactly. This is that
4: classic uh, yeah. buy the rumor, sell the news. Yeah, yeah. Uh, That's what's going on, in my opinion. And we got to be careful because we, we're asked on these, Some we go on these crypto spaces and podcasts. We like go downtown a lot. God bless you. Yeah, <laughs> and, and we'll be asked like... It, is the price going to go up? (laughs) They just want, they want hopium so bad. And we can't give investment advice or even make calls about prices. So we're like, look, I mean, Bitto, that was a peak that went down after that. We don't know. And there's many variables in crypto. There could be another SBF situation. Crypto is famous for having these scandals. I don't know. All I know is that over time, an ETF would be a legit bridge from all of the boomer money in America to Bitcoin, not, and everybody's not going to flood over but that bridge can't hurt and over time probably will uh will probably result in uh, a good amount of bid orders
3: yeah the, the one thing i would say is he mentioned we go on a lot of these crypto spaces. Like with you, I'm like arguing like why it's more likely than you, th- you initially thought it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With them, it's like the exact opposite. Yeah. I find the, I play the opposite <laughs> role. I'm gonna... like, look, we are at <laughs> yeah. this
4: 65% odds, but there's 35% chance in those odds that yeah. it's not going to happen. Yeah. Oh, by, oh, by States. the way, one more thing. They Sometimes they're so into hopium that they'll take something and just completely contort it. So remember how I said advisors have 30 trillion? And I was on a podcast and I explained that a tiny portion of that money will probably be in play. Maybe 0.5%. Yeah. Yeah. That's still 100, 200 billion, whatever. But that one place came up with the headline saying, Bloomberg analyst says $30 trillion <laughs> in demand is coming I to saw Bitcoin. That. I was like, like whoa, 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 whoa. There's a lot more words in my answer there.
1: I mean, come on. That's
4: crazy. It's
1: it's a trip. It's a well, whole doll, different- Let's make that our headline. Balsunas says uh, yeah. 30 trillion. 30
2: trillion. But speaking of those infamous crypto scandals, can you talk about some of the ri- risks that? Potentially would be inherent to such a product, or even just some of the risks that the SEC has cited in the past.
4: Sure. So, I wrote uh, a couple notes saying after SBF and FTX, I said an ETF is SBF proof because let's say an ETF existed, right? Market makers are very smart. These are the ones who are going to go between crypto and the uh, end client. They they probably would have smelled SBF as a fraud earlier, maybe even, and if they did use other crypto exchanges to make a market in crypto. We know this because there were uh, spot Bitcoin ETFs in Canada and in Australia and other countries, and they traded fine. Like the nav, uh, the price didn't really deviate too much from the nav, meaning arb was possible. Whereas if you were in FTX, you basically had your money frozen. So even if the ETF issuer, I don't know, let's say it's a small one, like let's say Kathy would, I'm not, let's say she just goes crazy, takes and just runs off to the Bahamas. You still have the crypto with the custodian. And that's why ETFs are so, I think, uh, prevalent, is that they're, they're as liquid as derivatives, but they actually are physically backed. So I don't think there's much of a risk. There's a risk of the price going up and down. It can be volatile, but th- people are okay with that. GB- the problem with GBTC is that it doesn't match the price of Bitcoin. All people want is for this thing to give you the price. They're okay if it goes down. I think the fraud or manipulation is definitely something that can happen. But in the, as cryptos matured, I think once you get all these market makers who are not messing around, these are people, they're very sophisticated traders, they're not going to deal with shady characters. So naturally, the shady characters will be isolated and maybe they'll even get unshady so they can participate in this Bitcoin ETF. So I think the SEC was kind of, I don't know, uh, simple minded in not approving it in that if they did, I think it would help their actual regulatory goals of cleaning up crypto. So, I but would I recommend a Bitcoin ETF to my mom? I mean, I would say, look, it's volatile, but I don't I don't not trust it. You're not going to like it's not going to get frozen. You're not going to like lose all your money, but if Bitcoin goes down, you are going to lose that money. So, that that'd be my answer to that. Yeah. I would also say, like, the SEC a bit here has kind of, like, lost the force for the trees.
3: Like, GBTC already exists. People are getting access to this in Coinbase. This isn't 2016. Micro 20s, strategy. Micro. Th- there's all these way less efficient ways. And I understand they're trying to protect investors. But at the end of the day, like... Anyone buying a Bitcoin ETF at this point, like they know what Bitcoin is. This isn't 2016. Like I understand denying the Winklevoss for all the reasons they denied them and plenty of the other ones. But like we're at a point where like people know what they're buying. It's not like they're they're buying this thing and like expecting like that it's not going to be risky. Or the vast majority of people won't. And there'll be a lot of disclosures in there. So there's a whole other avenue that you can make the argument here. But obviously the SEC is fixated on a few things, and the the issuers applying for this have to argue with the SEC on those issues.
4: Yeah, and we have a traffic light rating system for all ETFs, green, yellow, red, and it just basically gauges the nasty surprise potential. Like, what potential do you have to be surprised? So uh, VOO, green, no dings. Like, it's, you know, yeah. you'll never get surprised the there. the Vanguard S&P
1: yeah. 500 fund.
4: Yeah, and IVV, same deal. GLD actually gets a one and a green light from us because its,
3: <clears throat> it, it's tax is collectible. So it's got a little bit of a surprising tax thing going on there. But it's still green.
4: Now, the SEC has approved a 2x Bitcoin futures ETF, that would be hardcore red light.
1: Yeah, (laughs) And then
4: GBTC, if it were an ETF, would be hardcore red light because it deviates from the NAV so much and has awful tracking. So it's ironic that there's all these red light ways to get it. Yet if a spot Bitcoin ETF is approved, we would give it a green light based on our system. That's just ironic and frustrating.
1: I wonder, you know, okay, say Bitcoin's trading at 30,000. I wonder how the pricing of the ETFs would reflect that? Would it be like a uh, similar to the spy where, I don't know, Bitcoin's at 30,000. Is the ETF at 30 bucks, 300? You know, would it try to track it with a shift of decimal point like that,
3: so, so that's so there is like evidence that like lower handles like do better yeah. specifically with ETFs. So like honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if they did that. But for the most part, I don't think it matters. Yeah. People are like if, even if there's yeah, one as that's long long like as it tracks the they tend to start at like ten dollars, twenty dollars, twenty five dollars. So starting at thirty or whatever it
4: is, I assume that might be something they try to do. But I mean, time will tell. Some some ETFs purposely lower the price so get uh, more retail investors in. Some, though, it, it, uh, like GLD likes a higher price because if you're a big trader and you get charged, you, you actually get charged less if the price is higher. So basically, I think they'll probably start at 40 bucks. Most start at 40 or 25 and then from there, it'll track the price of Bitcoin. But we, we could see, again, once there's one or two popular ones... You're going to see everybody throw spaghetti at the wall to try to like, oh, this is Bitcoin with a low handle. <laughs> this is Bitcoin with a high handle. This is Bitcoin that goes short gold, long Bitcoin. Yeah. This goes long Tesla, short Bitcoin. They're going to try all kinds uh, of stuff. And that's fine. Most of that stuff will be fringe. But there'll be one or two mainstream ones that, that make it in or are used by mainstream America.
1: Do you love Elon Musk? Do you hate Elon Musk? Do you have no idea what to think about Elon Musk?
5: Then we have just the show for you. He's become even more larger than life. Buying Twitter doesn't get us closer to Mars.
0: They are like really close to the edge of like everything falling apart. Like, oh, Elon, I volunteer, put a chip in my brain. Each
1: week on this podcast, we'll break down, analyze, and debate the most important stories on Musk and his empire.
0: It's all one big universe. You just work for Elon, Inc.
1: From Bloomberg Business Week, this is Elon, Inc. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.
2: But you mentioned BITX, which is the 2x Bitcoin futures ETF. It launched in June. And I think a lot of people at first were like, no, there's no way this is going to launch. I think you were one of the only ones who was like, no, this is launching <laughs> on Twitter. <laughs> and, a lot of people are potentially seeing that as the SEC maybe warming up to crypto a bit more. Is that one of like is is it like a step forward?
4: Yeah. I think so. I get back channel information and some of it's very valuable. And that's why we are at sixty five. We've we've we don't just get public things, we get things that are a little sort of you know, in the back alleys.
2: Why so, don't you brag about
4: it? <laughs> so, some of that stuff is nonsense,
1: Back alleys. Yeah. We get a
4: lot of nonsense in the
3: back alleys. He
1: truly is a Philly guy. Yeah. Pulled yeah, yeah, yeah,
2: I get
4: it, but behind Jim's, behind Jim's, there's a lot of great information back there. But this was an ETF, uh, Bidex, 2X Futures, when it came out, and then, uh, I don't know, three weeks later, uh, that same firm filed for an Ether Futures ETF, which had been withdrawn, filed and withdrawn maybe three or four times historically.
2: And in May, and they, just in they, May, they had been withdrawn yes. in May by a bunch so of issuers.
4: They file, and then like another ten people file, and then I hear back channel the SEC is actually okay with these, and so we are we handicapped at seventy seventy five percent just in case that information was bad. But now we're we're in like two weeks since the first filing, and most of the withdrawals happen within six days, so we're well beyond the normal time they withdraw. So it looks like they're going to let Ether futures uh, come out. Which again, if they let Bitcoin futures, it almost it's a it's one step, in my opinion, onto the spot. But it does show the SEC can have policy changes because we also argue with these people on who are like anonymous on Twitter, who are like ex-regulatory guys. And they'll like, they'll say they're never going to do this. They're always, I don't know, they lean negative. I think they just hate crypto. But they were, they said they'll never do the futures and they did it. And some of these people said they never do the Bitcoin futures. Now Ether. So some of the people who are like come out and like this won't happen. A lot of times you got to ask them, did you say the futures wouldn't happen either? I guess my point is things change. Policies can change and it might not be because anything legally changed their brains just changed or the politics changed It's all it's a lot political and it's also legal, right? So one of my arguments for why
3: so they the bid the Bitcoin futures ETFs launched I mean theoretically the way that process works is you file and after 75 days you can list and for BitX, They filed and it wasn't withdrawn and but Really the way it usually works is the SEC just back channels to the the asset manager that applied right and says hey Can you withdraw this? If somebody decides, like, with these Ethereum futures ETFs or that Bitcoin two X futures ETF, it's like, no, you gotta send me like a, a, the equivalent of a cease and desist. You gotta, you gotta stop. And they're like, that issuer is willing to go to court the way Grayscale was. Based on what the SEC has seen in court in the Grayscale case, if you look at those oral arguments, I'm guessing that the SEC was like, all right, if somebody really wants to push us on this 2x Bitcoin futures ETF and on this Ether- these Ethereum futures ETFs, we're likely to lose in court the same way we're going to lose in Grayscale. And except if we lose in court on that front, we don't have a way to argue against it, right? For Bitcoin, our thesis initially for Grayscale was... They would, the SEC would lose in court and then they would basically all it does is vacate the denial letter. And before BlackRock filed, we were like, the SEC is just going to find another reason to not deny this thing. They'll, they'll lean on there's no custodians we trust. There's other reasons they could say why they deny you don't have any of any reasons really on Ethereum futures or two X Bitcoin futures ETF. And just to get
1: into the whole
4: how Cannonball Run this whole thing is, this reminds me of Cannonball Run. Everybody's,
1: I, I, I'm the only one, yeah. in the room old enough to get uh, okay. that reference, and, and I thank you for that. I, I Reynolds over here.
4: Uh, remember Sammy Davis Jr. and D. Martin dressed up as priests. The whole the movie was about who can get from New York to L. A. the fastest. But you obviously, if you get busted by a cop, it's going to slow you down. So some people tried to pretend they were an ambulance. Some people drove a Lamborghini. (laughs) They all tried these interesting ways. Whoever gets to LA gets a million dollars. It reminds me of this. And so in the Ether Futures, what we've already found is that somebody said, oh, we're going to change the name and strategy of a current ETF. And that process is a little shorter. So we're going to see if the SEC allows a name change to cut the line to come out (laughs) before the regular filer. So there's... Oh, all of the, yeah, there's all this jockeying because again, if you get out first, you have such a massive advantage. But to James's point, there has been some of it a history of better to ask for forgiveness than permission with the SEC and to just push them and push them and sometimes override them. It, people have had some success, namely the uh, Latin America real estate ETF that converted to a pot ETF. Before the SEC was comfortable, and the SEC just sort of like, oh, fine, whatever. The SEC did come out after that and was like, don't do this again. But, <laughs> but Val- Valkyrie is the company
3: that filed for that name change. Yeah. They have a Bitcoin futures ETF they launched. And I mentioned Bitto has 98% of the assets. So BTF, it, it doesn't really have much in the way of assets, right? So they were just like, we're going to go this way. Yeah. They jump in front of volatility shares. By about a week. Yeah. And Bitwise sees that Valkyrie does that. And Bitwise also jumps. They're changing their Bitcoin futures ETFs, the whole Bitcoin and Ethereum. So they're also jumping in front of the volatility shares, which was the one that was the first to launch. The and, so, and this so, is
4: just the undercard. <laughs> this is just the undercard race to the real race. So there's two races going on constantly. James and I were frazzled. Every day there's something new. Uh, and it's just, I tell people, this is the most, one of the most fascinating stories because especially with the spot Bitcoin, it's the largest asset manager, the highest rungs of finance, government, and the, and it's in, and the bridge to this crazy underworld. All yeah, these elements and there's a clock and it's a race. So it's hard not to be completely compelled and just sort of you know, uh, fascinated by this, although not everybody on our team is as into it as we are. <laughs> <laughs> I told Athanasius, like, look, if they take you guys to the psych ward – <laughs> I'm, I'm. I'll be here for the team until you come back.
1: <laughs> well, and the the sort of blurred political lines make it more fascinating. Yeah, there's so many issues in modern life or left and right. You know, there's there's no crossing in the middle, but the 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 blurry political lines I, I find fascinating. But I think what I'm, I've learned today is I should file for a single stock micro strategy ETF. <laughs> And, and beat everyone. What do you think?
2: Like a leveraged one.
1: Uh, leverage, and you might do well. Yeah, you have to leverage. Two <laughs> X. But three, anyway, just uh, go with three X. Eric and James, such a treat to uh, catch up with you guys and, and hear all about the Bitcoin ETF. We can't let you go just yet. We're going to do our craziest thing. But I feel like it's finally time for me to reveal my favorite cheesesteak. I'm a heretic. No as one well. asked you. I just I'm realized. I'm a heretic as well. I know. It's, sorry. You think you would catch the bait on that? You yeah. know that catch the hints. I'm a bit of a heretic. The best Philly cheesesteak is actually in Atlantic City. White House Subs in wow. Atlantic City. Just going to throw that out there. And now we can get to our craziest. You're things. really,
2: you're really stirring the.
1: I am. Oh, hold I am. on. What makes
4: it so good? Just the take the s- extra something, or do they do use Cheese Whiz? I uh,
1: no, I think I think it's either Provolone or American. Uh, it's the bread. So ninety nine percent of your Philly cheesesteaks are on the Amoroso Bakery's roll, which is a fine classic. Cheesesteak roll. Uh, White House, I think they bake their own bread and it's delicious. It's absolutely great. So All right. Time for our craziest thing. I don't know if they warned you guys about our gimmick here, the craziest thing we've seen in markets this week. Phil Donna, why don't you go get us first. started? All right.
2: Okay, mine is about Taylor Swift. Oh, okay. Shockingly.
1: Who who is not in the market, but
2: she's not in the market, but listen to this. This is from a New York Times story. Uh, a research shop. Estimates that her concert could generate $4.6 billion in economic activity in North America alone. That's stadium capacity, people's spending plans. Like
1: I believe that. The story I said like
2: people are spending money on costumes and getting their nails done and, and I believe things it. like that. That's on par with the revenues from the Beijing Olympics in 2008 after adjusting for inflation.
1: Well, that's pretty good. I've heard some speculate that she we avoided recession because of uh, Taylor Swift. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah if that's believable or not. I love not. it. But,
2: well, people spend like, I don't know, 2000 bucks or something yeah. just not just on the tickets but buying costumes and All
1: right, good stuff. I think I I might give you the win for that. Thank you. But mine mine's pretty good. Mine's your favorite subject, Vildana. Taylor Swift. No, bond math.
2: Oh no, please. Bond math. I'm We're leaving. All gonna,
1: I'm asking you all to do some bond math here. I'm leaving. Country Garden, have you ever heard of Country Garden? It's the uh, struggling property developer in China. It's kind of teetering on the, the verge of bankruptcy default. They actually suspended uh, this week, uh, trading of its bonds. We are recording on Monday, so keep that in mind. This These numbers may move, but I want you, all three of you, in our game show, The Price is Precise, need you to guess the highest yield that Country Garden's bond maturing in January of 2014. 2024, so in a few months, what do you think the highest yield this thing offered in the past week? Offered. Right. So oh, in as, recent as, days. As you know days. very well, and when the price of a bond of goes down, I know this so its well. yield goes and, up. And what's wrong, what's well. wrong with this uh, company? They're they're basically teetering on the brink of okay, bankruptcy. Gotcha. China's uh, it's distressed. Chi- yeah. China's okay. uh, real estate market I'll open. is... I'll open with 28%. Well, I was going to go with 24 44 all right you' all your answers are in would it help if I gave you the price of the bond no it traded below nine cents on the dollar you want to change your answer
2: so it's higher than 150 okay, percent <laughs> I, I win.
1: <laughs> I win. James was closest to the T 2978 percent was wow. the yield on offer for this a country: This is
4: b- why I should have done 41 percent like prices right <laughs> now yeah you always got to go yeah <laughs> well you <laughs> went first so it's true yeah I'm going to change my, my pick, though. That's right. a, that is a crazy stat. Congratulations, James.
2: Nice job, James.
4: Yeah.
3: Thank you for having me. I've and always cra-
4: wanted to play, the price is precise. Yeah. <laughs>
2: That's
3: everyone's <laughs> dream. James, do you have a craziest trade? thing? Uh, craziest thing in markets? Yeah. Obviously, the fire that happened in Maui is devastating, but ho- there looks like people are starting to blame Hawaii Electric, and they're down 40%. thirty. 5% today,
1: 40% today. Yeah. So that stock is taking a crater right now. Yeah. You don't want to own a utility stock when a wildfire breaks out. That's yeah. Sure. How about you, Eric? You got anything crazy for us?
4: Uh, I mean, I don't know. Something I just keep thinking about is the returns of the Qs this year. And we have this debate on our team because we have a lot of international people on the team. Yeah. There's just something about America and that index, man. There's something that you don't get in other countries in the Qs. It's up 37%. That is just an astonishing haul, especially when we're not even sure the Fed's done hiking completely. But that index, it's just really, really powerful. And compared to the rest of the world, International has these like six-month runs, and it's like back to the queues and these like really innovative companies in that index. So that's something that I'm thinking about that we're actually going to do something on, and we talk about a lot. I don't know that's not financial news, but today on IQ, we are talking about a 37% return in the queues this year. To me, that's just... We take it for granted almost it's almost like uh,
1: Jordan scoring like 55 points or yeah, yeah, whatever. It is pretty wild. What if all mutual funds changed their benchmark to the Nasdaq 100? How, how do you well, think you think that would fly? Morningstar did
4: <laughs> a study and over the past 15 years not one growth manager was able to beat the Qs. Really? Yeah. For
1: that for the 15 year period. Yeah,
4: there, now and there's wow, a, that's a good
1: crazy stat isn't right Isn't it?
4: Yeah. There's a couple there's a couple funds we found over the past 5 to 10 years that have beat it. But the only way to beat the Qs is to forget everything you learn in your CFA and <laughs> just go hog wild on a couple stocks like a Tesla. Yeah, this one yeah. fund owns like has 91 percent exposure to St. Joe's, which is owns a bunch of land in Florida. Like you got to be really, really crazy and out there to beat the Qs. I think if you have a CFA mentality, you're j- yeah. n- naturally going to shift to stocks that haven't done as well and you will lose.
1: Yeah. Diversified holdings. It's a, is not it's the a way
4: massive to... conundrum for active managers.
1: Yeah, that's, that's, that's a great point. Eric Balchunas and James Seifert of Bloomberg Intelligence. Uh, thanks so much for your time. Thanks for having us. Thank Great you to guys. be here. What goes up, we'll be back next week. Until then, you can find us on the Bloomberg Terminal website and app, or wherever you get your podcasts. We'd love it if you took the time to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts, so more listeners can find us and you can find us on Twitter. Follow me at Reganonymous. Vildana Hyrick is at Vildana Hyrick. You can also follow Bloomberg Podcasts at Podcasts. What Goes Up is produced by Stacy Wong. Thanks for listening. See you next time.